900 million Chinese people infected with COVID-19. A study estimated cases to peak at 3.7 million a day, with 25,000 daily deaths. No U.S. oil reserves for China. The House blocking oil reserve exports from being sent to companies tied to China. A TikTok ban gaining momentum across the U.S. Half of all states outlawing the Chinese-owned app on government devices. The list still expected to grow. The FBI reportedly raiding a Chinese police station in New York. The latest pushback yet against Beijing's overseas policing efforts. And the U.S. and Japan pledging commitment for each other in the face of growing threats from China. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Don Ma in for Tiffany today. With Beijing's official COVID-19 data widely considered underrepresented, one question has researchers around the world looking for answers. What's the true scale of the outbreak in China? According to Airfinity, a UK-based health analytics data company, China is facing the first peak of new COVID-19 infections as of Friday when it will record 3.7 million in a day, with daily deaths reaching 25,000. The company is expecting Chinese fatalities to rise to 1.7 million by the end of April. A second peak is expected at the beginning of March with more daily cases when the virus spreads to rural areas over the Lunar New Year. Next, a study by Peking University found some 900 million people in China have been infected as of Wednesday. That means 64% of the country's population have carried or are carrying the virus. Beijing stopped reporting daily COVID-19 cases in December. It also changed the way it records COVID-19 deaths. Official data shows five or fewer deaths a day over the past month. But even before those changes, China's official COVID-19 numbers were reportedly hard to pin down, leaving global experts guessing to determine the real situation in China. With the death toll surge across China, new funeral homes are being built in some cities. Based on a video clip from Chinese social media, a funeral home in northern China's Harbin city is building more than 20 makeshift morgues. The structures will store human remains. The extra room will help cope with demand for cremation services. Since the funeral home doesn't have the capacity to cremate bodies as fast as they're arriving. Outside the facility, the rest of the city is unusually quiet. Streets and shops are largely empty. In one morning market, people are seen strolling past vendors, but few appear to be making purchases. It's a sharp contrast to before the pandemic. Streets are normally packed this time of year ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday. China's economy has been hit hard over the last three years, while Beijing's strict zero COVID-19 policy was still in place. Countering the Chinese Communist Party, that's one area of agreement between most Republicans and Democrats. On Thursday, the House banned oil reserve exports from being sent to any entity owned or controlled by the CCP. NTD's Melina Weiskup reports. America's emergency oil stockpile sits at its lowest level since the 1980s. In a bid to lower gas prices, President Biden launched a plan to release 180 million barrels, some of them sold to Unipec, a company under the authority of the Chinese Communist Party-owned Sinopec. China now controls the world's largest government-controlled stockpile of oil with almost a billion barrels. 
at the expense of American taxpayers and our energy security. Aimed at prohibiting the Department of Energy from doing this in the future, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill on a vote of 331 to 97. All Republicans and most Democrats supported it. Those who opposed it argued that the GOP bears responsibility for exports to China. You know, America should not be exporting our crude oil exports to an adversary. And that was our national policy. Uh, for 40 years until a Republican-controlled Congress authorized sending American crude oil abroad in 2015. Opposing Democrats called for a broader bill that would ban emergency oil sales to China, North Korea, Iran, and other U.S.-sanctioned countries. Now this bill is headed over to the Senate where its fate is unclear, but I wouldn't rule out the possibility of it passing the Senate during this Congress. That's because of the bipartisan nature of this type of bill, although Senate Leader Chuck Schumer would need to see this as a priority to bring it to the floor for a vote. Now going back to the House's actions on China so far. So this week they've taken two actions with regards to China. Uh, the, uh, earlier this week they created that bipartisan select committee on China where they'll be looking at the United States strategic response to the Chinese regime. We asked Speaker McCarthy what other actions or priori priorities they have with regards to how to handle China or its influence here in the U.S. Here's what he told me. Because many times we don't speak with one voice from America. What I am trying to accomplish is get members on both sides of the aisle from all different perspectives, not just from a militarily, from financial, from agriculture and others, to bring those jobs back to America, to make sure China's not with inside America buying our farmland and others. And Speaker McCarthy did add that he has been in discussion with the Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries on this issue. So it's clear China will be one of very few areas that will see some bipartisan cooperation over the next two years. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. A TikTok ban is gaining momentum across the U.S. This week, a total of six states banned the Chinese-owned short video platform on state-issued devices. That's including New Jersey, Ohio, Mississippi, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Arkansas, meaning half of all U.S. states have now said they'll do the same. The governors of Wisconsin and North Carolina signed orders on Thursday banning TikTok on government devices. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers also confirmed bans on other Chinese companies, including telecom gear companies Huawei and ZTE, surveillance equipment provider Hikvision and Tencent, the owner of popular social media platform WeChat. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper signed an order directing officials to develop a new policy within 14 days. The new rule will prohibit TikTok, WeChat, and potentially other applications that present cybersecurity risks on state devices. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves issued a directive Wednesday saying his state won't wait for the Chinese Communist Party to steal state government data. Video sharing app TikTok is owned by ByteDance, a developer headquartered in China. The U.S. House of Representatives pushed a similar ban in December blocking the app from federally managed devices. And in Europe, France is fining TikTok $5.4 million. The penalty for shortcomings linked to its handling of online trackers known as cookies. Worth noting, this only concerns the website TikTok.com, not TikTok's smartphone applications.
France's data protection watchdog found that for TikTok.com's users, it was easier to accept the digital trackers than it was to refuse them. And that internet users were not sufficiently informed about TikTok's use of the cookies. The FBI searched a Chinese police station in New York City last fall. That's according to a report from the New York Times, citing unnamed sources. NTD reached out to the FBI. The agency declined to comment. The police outpost is based in Lower Manhattan. It's located inside the headquarters of a U.S. charity called the American Changle Association. And Beijing operates a network of over 100 similar police outposts in other countries. Chinese authorities say these offices help overseas Chinese with their passport services. Human rights groups, though, say they help Beijing harass and track down dissidents living in the U.S. Now Ireland and the Netherlands have ordered the closures of these outposts in their countries. More than 10 countries have started investigations into the issue. More action from the FBI. The agency is taking aim at the Chinese Communist Party's suppression on U.S. territory. Here's the latest. The FBI ads ask Chinese Americans to come forward if they have been victimized by the Chinese Communist regime while living in the U.S. The ads list in Chinese crimes such as cyberstalking, cyber harassment, physical harassment, assault, extortion, blackmail, and harassment through the Chinese social media app WeChat. The FBI has been running the ads on Facebook since late December. This appears to be part of a larger effort by the FBI to publicize and investigate the Chinese regime's international suppression tactics. Amid growing Indo-Pacific threats from China, President Biden spoke with Japan's leader on Friday. The two heads of state are looking to strengthen the U.S.-Japan alliance. NTD Cyrus Tao has more from the White House. President Biden meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida at the White House on Friday. The two vow a strong alliance based on values. These shared democratic values are the source of our strength, source of our alliance. An important backdrop for the meeting is threats from China. Just weeks ago, Japan announced an unprecedented military buildup, citing concerns over Chinese actions in the Indo-Pacific. And Japan and the United States are currently facing the most challenging and complex security environment in recent history. The U.S. and Japan are set to expand their military cooperation, including by improving Japan's missile strike abilities and better preparing the U.S. Marine units in Japan for potential combat. Biden pledges the U.S.'s full commitment. Reporting from the White House, Aris Tao, NTD News. The two leaders are also expected to talk cooperation on semiconductors, though no details have been released yet. Washington launched sweeping restrictions last year aiming to limit China's access to advanced microchips and the tools to make them. But the sanctions are less likely to be effective if Japan and the Netherlands don't join hands with the U.S. Both countries are primary sources of equipment for making advanced microchips. Japan and Washington have been in talks about cooperation on export controls. Though Kishida's administration has been vague about the extent it would join in. Tokyo Election is Japan's leading equipment maker for microchip manufacturing and relies on China for about a quarter of its revenue. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen paying visits to Senegal, Zambia and South Africa in the next two weeks. 
Her trip comes as Washington aims to strengthen ties with the continent, which has become a focus for Chinese trade and investment. The African tour will make Yellen the first member of President Biden's cabinet to embark on a lengthy visit to that region. News of her travel follows a White House announcement in December. More than $15 billion had been set aside for the continent, slated for two-way trade and investment deals in December. The U.S. had said it was, quote, all in on Africa's future. Yellen will meet officials in the three countries to discuss energy, food security, debt issues, and infrastructure investments. The new U.S. approach includes investment and trade partnerships, so not just humanitarian and security aid. China's foreign minister is also on a five-country tour of Africa. Chinese trade with Africa is about four times that of the United States. Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris plus others will also travel to Africa this year. And China acquiring stakes in two subsidiaries of tech giant Alibaba. The shares will give the Chinese Communist Party special rights to strengthen control over online content. Let's zoom in. China has taken minority stakes with special rights in two domestic units of Alibaba. Beijing has taken so-called golden shares in private online media and content companies for more than five years. It's expanded such deals to companies with large amounts of data, that as authorities try to strengthen control over online content. The golden shares are equal to about 1% of a firm and bought by government-backed funds or companies. It gives them board representation and, in some cases, veto rights for key business decisions. The Alibaba stakes are the first known for the e-commerce firm. It was a key target for China's two-year-long regulatory crackdown on tech giants. The company didn't respond to a request for comment. There were more signs the crackdown is coming to an end on Friday, however, Five sources told Reuters that China is due to allow DD Global's ride-hailing app and other products back on domestic app stores as soon as next week. DD has been waiting for approval to resume new user registrations and downloads of its 25 banned apps in China since around mid-2021. Sources say the firm ran afoul of watchdogs when it pressed ahead with a US share listing against the regulator's will. Beijing has been using heavy fines and sanctions to control technology giants. But in response to the nation's economic slowdown, it has recently loosened its tough measures and increased its holdings in the companies to strengthen control. The world's largest electric vehicle maker BYD planning to launch a new factory in Vietnam. Sources say the plant would make car parts for the company with investment to build it exceeding $250 million. The move would reduce China-based BYD's reliance on its home country and deepen its supply chain in Southeast Asia as part of a global expansion. The carmaker has also been expanding elsewhere in Asia, including Singapore and Japan, as well as Europe. The bid follows a wider manufacturing trend, which is to reduce exposure to China. That's amid trade tensions with U.S. and production delays under Beijing's previous COVID-19 lockdowns. BYD outsold rival Tesla in electric vehicles by more than two to one in China last year. The company declined to comment on the Vietnam plant leak. Sources said construction on the factory is slated to start by mid-year. Australia and neighboring Papua New Guinea are joining forces on a new security treaty. They said Thursday they're still finalizing the deal, an apparent challenge to China's growing assertiveness in the Indo-Pacific region. 
Our interests are indivisible. You can't have a more secure Papua New Guinea without a more secure Australia and vice versa. We have an interest in increasing our trade and our economic relationships and Australia has a direct interest in supporting the economic development and lifting of living standards here in Papua New Guinea. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese spoke in Papua New Guinea this week. He explained the treaty would be based on the deep trust between the two nations, noting it would address Papua New Guinea's needs, like strengthening the justice system and resolving law and order challenges. His speech there marks the first address to the Papua New Guinea parliament by a foreign leader since 1975. That's when the nation of 10 million people gained its independence. Prime Minister James Marape welcomed Albanese. We live in a sad, sad region, sad environment, sad, sad ocean. Uh, challenges are quite common, so without compromising the peculiarity of our own bilateral relationship with others, our sad, sad interests uh, will be encapsulated in these security arrangements. Later Thursday, Albanese told reporters the deal centers around increasing defense cooperation and joint military training with the potential for joint operations. The treaty comes after China signed a different security pact in the region last year with the Solomon Islands. It's raised concerns that Beijing could build up a military presence in the country, which falls in Australia's backyard. Albanese said he expects negotiations to finish in April, with a signing in June. Coming up, the U.S. won the first race to the moon in the 20th century, but will it claim victory in the second? The second race to the moon is all about uh, strategic position and securing access to resources. Uh, space technology has advanced to the point where we can consider accessing the moon both economically and for real profit. Tiffany Myers spoke to Rick Fisher, senior fellow of the International Assessment and Strategy Center, to find out more. His comments after the break here on China in Focus. The race between communist China and the West is extending to the moon. Tiffany Myers spoke to Rick Fisher, senior fellow of the International Assessment and Strategy Center, about outer space competition between the U.S. and China. Here's what he had to say. So recently, it seems NASA's Nelson was talking about this space race that's happening between the U.S. and China, especially in regards to the moon. So what's so significant about this race? The United States won the first one in uh, 1969, but the second race to the moon is all about uh, strategic position and securing access to resources. Uh, space technology has advanced to the point where we can consider accessing the moon both economically and for real profit. Uh, we can use water on the moon to produce oxygen and uh, use resources, metals and other materials, on, minerals on the moon to build things, to build an infrastructure, perhaps to build spaceships to go to Mars or to build large uh, solar energy gathering satellites that will be put in cislunar space, the area between the uh, Earth and the moon, to beam massive amounts of uh, 
electricity to earth, uh, uh, put the uh, uh, oil producing companies out of business, if you will. Wow. And so when it comes to this new Cold War, if you will, this time between the U.S. and China, it seems sometimes there's a lot of scientific collaboration between countries. But what are some of the concerns with this time around if China beats us to it? Well, NASA Director Nelson, in an interview published on January 1st in Politico, made clear that uh, he fears that once China gets to the moon, it will act in an imperialistic manner. It will claim territory and deny that territory, access to that territory to others. Uh, this is uh, directly opposite the uh, intention of the American Artemis Accords initiated under the previous uh, Trump administration and to which I believe 22 countries have signed on to uh, accept the Artemis Accords' direction for behavior on the moon. Now, Director Nelson, I believe, is correct to uh, uh, point out fears about China behaving imperialistically on the moon. He pointed out the example of Chinese imperialism in the South China Sea, uh, uh, claiming territory that is clearly not China's, and then building uh, big, large military bases in the middle of the South China Sea to impose its control over that region. Uh, claiming control of the South China Sea is sort of like the United States claiming control of the Gulf of Mexico and uh, asking the Cubans to go away. Uh, we're never going to do that. Uh, we don't do that to any other country. And it's, it's simply bizarre that China would claim to do this in the South China Sea. And this certainly justifies fears that China will behave imperialistically when it gets to the moon. The United States, having exercised the leadership through the Artemis Accords by, by initiating the Artemis Accords and inviting all countries that want to go to the moon to sign on to these accords as a, uh, a guide to behavior on the moon, the, high, the highest priority of the Ar Artemis Accords is to ensure uh, peaceful conduct to uh, avoid militarizing the moon, to avoid bringing weapons to the moon. There is already uh, a, uh, a outer space treaty and, and a moon treaty uh, administered by the United Nations that tries to accomplish the same purpose. But China has a very poor record of adhering to agreements, even if it signs on to those agreements, even if it ratifies agreements. So any Chinese uh, statement or agreement that it uh, does not intend to uh, militarize the moon has to be taken uh, with uh, deep skepticism. It sounds like China or the Chinese regime is playing by different rules. So given the stakes here, what should the U.S.'s next steps be? Well, I think we should first and foremost continue to uh, encourage countries that want to go to the moon, participate in the future space economy uh, uh, based on uh, resource extraction on the moon, energy generation. We should encourage as many countries as possible to sign on to the Artemis Accords and join uh, all of the other countries that have pledged 
to a program of peaceful behavior. That would be our first uh, uh, defense, if you will, of, of a peaceful future for the moon. Uh, but, but secondly, we should also be prepared. Uh, we should have in reserve the means to send to the moon equipment that could defend our people. And that's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Don Ma. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for watching. Have a good weekend.